Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I am good. Yeah, uh, good. Me too. Yeah, doing well. Um, I'm going to the Boston Elm meetup tonight. Oh, nice. Yeah. You speaking or are you just attending? I'm just attending. Um, former colleague Ian Anderson is speaking, Thoughtbotter. Um, but yeah, I'm, as I probably mentioned on here a little bit, I'm pretty into Elm these days. I think it's really exciting. And so I'm going to go there and see what's what's going on, what the scene's like. That's cool. Do you know how big the meetup is? is I it, don't, is it like a actually. fair following? Okay. I'm not sure. I guess I could, I could look on meetup, but it doesn't really tell you how many people show up for real. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I'm, I'm interested. Apparently, it's a speaker format. So I think they have two speakers given talks. I read something from Richard Feldman, who's an Elm person, that they're... Or maybe it was Evan, I think. I, I forget. Somebody in some elm luminary about how they've been having really good success doing like hack fest type meetups or like like just no speakers but everyone shows up with something to work on and people kind of form impromptu groups i'd be down with that too but i guess i'm fine just listening to some talks yeah cool well i'm I'm anxious to hear about it i've been you've sucked me onto the elm bandwagon so now i Mm -hmm. like talk about it every time i get an opportunity too (laughs) nice um, yeah, this is a uh, particularly appropriate for me right now because I am next week. I fly to Denver for Rocky Mountain Ruby, and my talk will be Elm focused. So I'm doing a little research, I guess. In Refactoring Rails news, I have a logo. Sweet. So you got the designer all locked in and already have a product. Uh, yeah. Here, let me show you. I'll, I'll send you a link, and then we'll, you can throw this in the show notes, but so you can see the the treatment. Ooh, nice. I like it. Thanks. I like it too. So yeah, so I'm working with Jack Dade, uh, who's a referral, a friend of a friend, and it's been great. He did a nice job. And we were talking early on. So I was saying, you know, it would be nice to marry um, something kind of railroad related, basically, like something along the rails theme, and also the idea of improvement or change. And almost right away, he was like, check out this picture of a railroad switch. And I was like, yeah, actually, that's kind of the right idea. Uh, and he's like, no, it even kind of looks like an R, like that sort of turn, like, you know, one stra- track going straight and another track taking a right. And it's like, oh, that's kind of R-like. And then that just was sort of, that became the inspiration and made its way into the final logo. And the final logo, like you, you probably wouldn't look at that and go railroad switch for sure. But it's kind of, I, I kind of like that it has a, uh, I don't know, a history or a background or some some thought behind it. Yeah, it's like, once you tell me that, I can totally spot it. So it's like it's a little bit of an abstract version of the concept but um Mm -hmm. yeah i like it i like it even not knowing that though i think it's kind of it's kind of nice i don't know it feels good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i also jack is also has someone that works for him that does a video stuff so they are going to handle making the sort of the bumpers for the videos a little intro a little outro uh just like it's just some simple animation of that logo um for like title cards and things like that and also they're going to do this the sales site so that's sort of the next thing is i owe him a markdown document where i'm going to basically outline like here's roughly what i think the the major design elements of the sales page should be yeah good wow yeah so you found a one-stop shop for all your for all your design uh and polish needs that's cool yeah it worked out really really nicely and then while he was working on that this week i finished the notes for all the videos and it's funny the notes I put off doing the notes for a while because honestly, I was kind of dreading it because I knew I would have to rewatch every video. And I was worried that I would rewatch them and go, oh man, this one kind of sucks. Oh, I don't really like this. And I was just, I was like worried it was going to shake my confidence in the quality. But 
uh, I was actually pretty pleasantly surprised. I was like, this is this is good. I'm I'm happy with all this. There are a couple little things where I was like, ah, I might I might have changed this or like some small things here and there. But overall, I was I was pleased. Nice. That's good. Yeah. I've I've like I'm always a little leery of listening to anything that I've recorded of myself. Like mm-hmm. I only listen to about half the podcasts we publish because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah. I'm just like, eh, I don't really feel like listening to myself right now. So Yep, sure. After editing everything too, it's it seems like I just pretty uh, smoothly flow from idea to idea and say everything correctly the first time and make no typos and type really fast and it's like it's all it's all editing magic but the final product feels pretty polished another reason I wanted to do this was quality control and all the videos were fine I didn't find any mistakes except for in one place uh, somehow there's like three minutes of unedited section in one of the videos towards the end that I just somehow just missed and it was actually it was really interesting how jarring it was because everything else like flowed so smoothly. And then like, I had sort of forgotten what the, re- the recording process was, which was like me trying to say everything like seven times. And like, it's just interesting to see that raw footage again and be like, oh man, that was so annoying. It was like, I would say a thing, <laughs> I, would just, I would say it kind of differently. I would say it a third, different, a third way. I would, you know, make a typo while talking. I would back up. I would change the wrong variable. It was just like, wow, there were so many mistakes going into this. It was crazy. Yeah. And how did you do your editing? Did you have you hired someone to do that, or did you? Edit no, it I did yourself. it. I edited it myself. Okay. I, I I got yeah. uh, Final Cut Pro and just did it. Did it. Editing was, is kind of fun. It's it's a, editing is a little bit like refactoring. It's like you got the raw materials there and you want to make it better. And it's it's was really cool because I would start off with like an hour of raw recorded stuff, and then the final product would be like twenty three minutes or something. Yeah. But the time to edit was like many, many hours, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it was a few. It was definitely a few hours per, probably two or three hours somewhere in there. But I kind of got in the zone with the editing after a little while, because it didn't require. It's interesting. It didn't require like a ton of thought. It was just like, okay, I need to, like, which take do I sound the best? Which take did I not make a mistake? Oh, that was like I heard a little bit too much breath on that one. Let me cut out that breath. Let me chop out that typo. Uh, and so it's just this, it was fairly like low mental requirement, uh, but, and the, but just like the steady production of final polished product that was gratifying to see. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So what do you have, uh, what do you have left to do before your, let's see, it's October, October 16th launch date and it's September 21. So what do you have left? Um, not much actually. So the sales page, I have to write up that doc for the sales page. And actually, so the, the deliverable on that will be HTML and CSS. So that should just mostly be throwing that on a static site thing somewhere. The notes are done. I'm going to do a proofreading pass of all the notes for spell checking and like link adding links to things. But that's pretty close. I need to fix that one video that needs editing. I'm going to, I believe I have chosen my hosting provider, which is Gumroad. Uh, based on some talks with Adam, he's a, he's a fan for this. Since I'm mostly just, it's just going to be static files. Like I'm not going to do like a, you have a course section. Um, I don't think it would add much for this. Uh, so I think it's, he's like, if you're just going to give him like a zip file, like Gumroad is a, is a nice choice for that. So I, I believe that's what I'm going to do. So there's like that signing up and uploading and all that. And that I believe is, are the last set of blockers. Also, um, decide on pricing, create a launch sequence for emails, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. That stuff does add up. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does for sure. But like, it's, it's not, it's not too bad. I'm at the point where nothing on my list feels intimidatingly large or like unknown. 
it's like, yep, it's going to take some work to write up, you know, an email sequence, but I've done it before and I, I can sort of picture all the steps. So as the panic of the looming deadline increases, I'll just crush through it and get it done. <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good, man. I'm excited. Thanks. You're me making, too. Uh, making good progress. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. Um, I had a bunch of time off and I didn't feel stuck, but it was like, okay, progress was not going very quickly, but now the like now it's moving along the dominoes are falling i still do have some other stuff to do on top of that though like the the talk i'm writing for rocky mountain ruby and then so yeah there's there's three talks before then which is kind of crazy yeah and you had so you talked before about like your ruby meetup tour is that is that still something you're thinking of doing uh, like post-launch or where, where are you at on that yeah, uh, I'm still considering doing that. Uh, so since I'm launching October 16th, I think it would basically be like late October, early November. I'm going to be shooting for dates in that time frame. But that's not a blocker, so I'm sort of not thinking about it quite yet. Right, yeah. Yeah, no need to cloud your mental space with that just yet. <laughs> yeah, sure. So yeah, I think that's what's up with me. Good. Well, in Dripland, we've been... Um I've been like deep in the kind of back end stuff right now. We're kind of in that season uh, where my attention is mostly needed on kind of helping think about scaling challenges and stuff like that. And especially through the lens right now of uh, Black Friday that's coming. If you look like compared to last year, we've had obviously a lot of growth, um, many, many thousands of customers added to our customer base and definitely like a good amount of interest from people who are selling things online, like more pronounced, I would say than a year ago, early drip history was predominantly like smaller um, companies and a lot of SaaS SaaS apps and people who are kind of in the, the microconf micropreneur space. And of course it's, it's obviously expanded out from there and, and drip is turning out to be a tool that's really attractive for a lot of people who are selling things naturally, because you can use, you can leverage all the automation stuff to, basically convert that into money. So so with that comes like, hmm, I wonder how much volume we're going to actually expect on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and that whole kind of week surrounding that typical like retailer week of chaos, right? So first, like our first step in that has been like, all right, let's build up some models. Let's try to see, let's try to estimate like based on current patterns right now and based on historical patterns from last black friday what uh what can we expect for you know peak traffic like peak number of email sends in a given hour or number of like amount of segmentation activity that's going on um and all that good stuff so like step one has been let's try to let's try to think through the models estimate around where we need to be to feel comfortable and then kind of start start itemizing all the work that we would like to get done before then just to to make sure that we feel comfortable on the day of. So that's been like a, it's been a fun process to think systematically through it. And uh, we have a couple like experienced architect type folks um, in the building. And it's been really cool to kind of tap their wells of knowledge and talk through these these interesting problems. You know, it is a little bit like stressful being that there's like a, a looming date coming where like, you know, we're building up models for this and we, we have a limited amount of time to accomplish tasks in between now and then. So we're having to be very deliberate about picking which ones are most important and triaging things. But overall, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about where things stand and it feels good to have visibility into it. Like the more, like I spent probably a, a several full days in total uh, just 
in front of whiteboards and posting sticky notes on a wall and breaking things down into one day chunks. And historically, I haven't spent a lot of time in the planning phase. We usually try to do as little process as possible and then get to the actual doing part. But I think it has definitely been worth it to to spend a good amount of time building up models and thinking through all the different avenues that we can go. Basically, the more information we have, the more planning we do up front, the more comfortable everyone can feel that we're going to achieve our goals. Sure. Are you planning or have you done any simulation of high load? Yeah. So we do some of that in in like isolated staging environments, for sure. Um, it's really difficult. What well, The most difficult part to simulate is all of the different types of interactions that happen in production, like at the same volume that we're experiencing. So like at peak, we hit like 30,000 queries per second on our master database. And depending on what queries are happening at one time, that impacts the performance of other systems. And like to get all of that simulated simultaneously is really tricky. It's something that we are wanting to invest in. And, you know, it's definitely like a pretty significant investment, but I think well worth it um, to get like a pretty good simulation environment really locked in. Um, So right now, like our usually the thing that's most effective for us is to just instrument the heck out of everything that we think might be impacted by a change we're making. And then use, um, we use a library called rollout that can, that helps with like, you can set a value in Redis and then say like only roll this new piece of functionality or new like code path out to 10% of requests. And then you can dial it up and down or you can target specific accounts. And so Kind of doing that in combination with instrumenting things helps us kind of get a get an idea of what's uh, how it's impacting real world. So on those days, everyone's in the office in a war room somewhere, like ready to like scale everything up like crazy. Yeah, I mean, so like day of Black Friday, I mean, I, my hope is that we will be fully prepared and not need to not need to like all be in the same room necessarily. I know different folks will be out of town from the team traveling because Thanksgiving, you know, which is always a little interesting when, when we're all spread out <laughs> geographically. But, but the nice thing is like, we're, we're already on the path of leveraging more and more of Amazon's tool chain. So like auto scaling groups basically allows us to um, like log into the, con- log into the Amazon console and increment a number and it'll automatically spin up more servers and provision more capacity. So like the more things we can get kind of under that model where like it doesn't even require a deployment to tweak something, um, the better off we're going to be, I think. So totally. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of want to be in the room like in the (laughs) Slack channel and like watch this go down. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be fun. I mean, if if we hadn't started planning this early, then it would have been a much like, worse situation like a week before for like oh no we should have thought of this and then it would have it would be you know toxically stressful but and i thought i would mention i want to mention one of the specific things that were initiatives we're working on that i find particularly fun it's a little bit technical but i thought i'd dive into that for just a minute and it's around um queuing so we use Sidekick extensively, and if you're familiar with Sidekick, it basically you can you can divide jobs into different sub queues, right? So you can, and you can specify their relative priority to one another. But it's it's a pretty simplistic like first in first out model where like once something is in the queue, you don't have any control over reprioritizing work. So 
like if you dump in a bunch of jobs that are for one specific customer and then another customer has a workload that needs to get finished, it will just stack up behind the large batch of jobs, right? And that becomes a problem. And there's different ways to mitigate that uh, that we've experimented with. Like we've we have some logic in place that will kind of sort of spread things out in the scheduled queue in Sidekick so that it allows new work to kind of interleave itself with with existing batches of work. But that gets tricky because if you spread things out too far, then you're potentially performing the work slower than you should be. You know, if you leave too many gaps in between individual like chunks of work. Conversely, if you if you schedule it too tight together, then then everything ends up in the in the main queue anyways because you're not keeping up with the flow of work and then that doesn't give that kind of crowds out any opportunity to to slot work in between. So, we've been working through this, we're calling it fair queuing, and we've been working through this kind of initiative on like like ideally looking for a pattern that we can apply to any type of thing in drip that requires performing work at a f- like round robin style style pace where we can where w- one person is not able to crowd out anybody else's work. And so right now what we what we've arrived at so far is like instead of dumping things directly into sidekick we're going to set up feeder queues. And so every single batch of work gets its own list in Redis. And then we have a scheduler that will round robin through all the different batches of work that need to be performed. And it'll pull jobs off at an even rate um, from each of them. Mm -hmm. And is a job like send 10,000 emails or is it send one email? Uh, It depends. Some of them are like batches, small batches. Usually we do like up to a thousand types of things, but it just depends on like different types of workloads, like bulk operations are structured differently than broadcast emails, for example. Okay. Um, Yeah. Like as we've mapped this out, like we started really conceptual and then we kind of got down into the details of, of how it's going to work. And um, I just, I love Redis because it has like all the built-in constructs that we need for this. Like we push things into lists and that that happens in constant time. So as lists grow, it still is the same cost regardless of list size to push new items in. And then you can do like an atomic operation that pulls something off of a list and pushes it onto sidekicks queue list. Um, and you can do that atomically so that, you know, it's all thread safe. If you have multiple things that are trying, trying to pull things off this list at the same time, you'll never end up with, uh, race conditions and yeah. So I'm excited about this one. And I think it's going to really, I think it's going to really improve a lot of uh, drips user experience, especially when, in, when we're under periods of high load, you know, like when everything's pretty quiet, then these things end up getting interleaved in the schedule queue and everything's nice. But in the times where we have big old load spikes, then, you know, things can, delays can be painful for, for customers. So I'm really stoked to get this, get this live. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to hear how it works in the real world. This feels to me intuitively like one of those things where you're like, oh, this is such a better algorithm. And then you don't realize the subtle failure cases until you actually push it out there. Yeah, for sure. That's something that we're definitely leery of. Like, um, What's nice is it's mostly stateless. And because, because Redis has these operations that allow us to move one thing from one list into another, we never have to like pull data out of a list into memory in this process and then push it back in. So there's never like... 
like the, a lot of the failure modes that could happen where like what happens if we pull a job out and then my process dies in the in the meantime is that job lost forever you know like fortunately we don't have to deal with those types of cases but it's definitely more complexity so it's something that we're wanting to like test out a bunch <laughs> before we push it live i believe in you to be clear but i'm just yeah. interesting <laughs> to see yep yep so how long until you uh, package this up and sell it as a sidekick enterprise plugin edition? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it, it could be cool to, um, I don't think we would sell it, but it'd be, it could be a cool open source thing. You know, um, we looked around, like our first inclination was to say like, certainly someone else has, has solved this problem. Um, and we looked around and there's, there's a few things out there, but they're kind of, um, haven't been updated in a while sitting around on GitHub and not sure if they're fully production ready. So I think we just lean towards building it ourselves. But um, yeah, it could be something cool to open source. Do you have any open source stuff from Drip these days yet? Um, we have a few things. I've There's a few small, tiny Ruby libraries that I built a few years back that I've open sourced, like for just really pretty tiny use cases. We don't have any like large scale um, infrastructure type things really in the wild it's always like the question of do you want to spend the time extracting something and open sourcing it and like in ideal world yes but in the real world it's like hard to prioritize that you know which i'm sure every every company experiences that i'm sure but um but i love i love the concept of doing that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah totally yeah and like the, it's the there's the work of the initial like clean it up document it get it out there but then it's the ongoing stuff that i think is the real the drain. yeah mm-hmm. Like, if you release this thing, but it has 280 issues and you don't answer any of them, like, is that, are you really helping that much? Right. Even, like, our our API wrappers, like, I feel bad. We have, at one point, we had someone author a a .NET API wrapper for the Drip API, and um, we have a PHP wrapper. Uh, We have a Ruby one, obviously. And, like, the PHP and .NET ones, we don't have any .NET or PHP developers in-house. So... It's tough, like as we as we add to our API, keeping those libraries up to date and just like keeping them up to date for their platform, various platforms and stuff is like a pretty big maintenance burden, and we haven't done a good job of of do, of maintaining those. So I kind of just want to like release them, like put a note that hey, these are not actively maintained. If someone wants to take them over, you know, please do. Um, I don't know. It's hard to sponsor rappers in much different languages that you don't have. Oh yeah, staff for sure. For, you know, yeah, it's worth it. Sounds like it's worth a try. Just like publishing that and saying, seeing yeah. if anyone takes. But if we had an API written in GraphQL, we wouldn't have a problem because then you can just use a GraphQL client, right? Oh, is that true? Like, I would that so. solve the same problem? Like, don't would that that wouldn't really give you the nice? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on what people can do with your API. Like, is it just query data or is it more fancy than that? Yeah, it's both. And that would be a big effort to like to move our API to GraphQL. But I have been uh, becoming a big proponent of GraphQL as I explore it on the side. And I do think that that solves like it. Like, I think most most of the major languages have a client that is able to talk to any GraphQL API. And since it's uh, since you can introspect a GraphQL API, it can get back the schema and it like you don't have to write your own wrapper, essentially, right? It's because any GraphQL client can it can infer the schema and then it's able to execute queries and 
return the data back in a way that you can manipulate it, right? So that's another that's another a pro of GraphQL. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Another someday project. Mm-hmm. Yep. Too many of those. I have a someday maybe list in my to-do system, and it's just like, yeah, a lot of these are kind of cool ideas. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of mm-hmm. slowly accumulate. Along with your pocket articles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, actually, speaking of that, someone that listens to the podcast, uh, Josh Beckman, sent me an email the other day, or sent us an email, I should say, uh, and saying that he built a tool for the problem that I have, which is a, like a pocket reading list that just gets bigger and bigger. And it's called Narrow, N-A-R-R-O, narrow.co. And the gist is you connect it, you like off it to pocket, and it takes the articles and strips the text out and then converts them into podcast episodes. So now you have an audio version of your pocket reading queue, and it gives you a unique URL for a podcast that you subscribe to that is those articles. I think it's a really good idea. Um, in practice, so I, I've been trying it for now, like about a month now. And in practice, the voice, like the reading voice is not quite, it's like it's a little bit annoying to listen to. Like it has enough problems that I'm like kind of frustrated by it. So it's unfortunately a little frustrating to listen to. But I think the basic idea is amazing. And if he can like upgrade the voice quality, I think like I would be a huge fan of this and would be a customer. Nice. Does he? Is it just like some automated text-to-speech thing that he's using to generate apparently i don't actually know what's happening on the on the back end but it, yeah. it just sounds like i mean it's like it's clearly a computer voice reading a thing basically yeah um huh that's really interesting it, yeah it's been nice because now like i just will like sometimes i will flip through my podcast feed and i, I actually like will just i don't listen to a lot of the articles but sometimes they're like short enough like sometimes it's like a 45 minute read and it's like eh, um too long but some of them are like nice candidates for it. And it's like, wow, I just like chipped away a few things that I wanted to get in my head. And now they are. Yeah, that's really cool. It's like there's certain certain things that I like to hear over audio and other things I don't like. I don't know about you, but I struggle with audio books for some reason. Like I really want them to be a good way for me to absorb a book. But when it's not just a, a podcast, it's usually more like succinct topical but it's like a whole book where it's like you're following a narrative that's going to last for 12 hours and trying to stay focused while listening to that i just really struggle with it but i want it i feel like it it would be a more efficient way for me to take in information because i usually have more opportunities to just listen to something like i'm riding the bus to work or driving in or whatever um but i struggle with that but i think i feel like a like a lot of blog post articles would be along more along the lines of a podcast episode and therefore uh a good way for me to consume a bite-sized piece of chunk of information. Yeah. So maybe you should try it out. Yeah. I, I will check it out for sure. Yeah. So good idea, uh, Josh. Well, we just crossed the 30 minute mark. You want to wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. See ya.